y'all, Deva here, the Rebellious Recruiter. So here's the first of my two episodes with Daniel Stanton. Daniel and I had a really, really long conversation, and we broke it down into two podcasts, which really covers four parts. The first part, we talk really just kind of about where our lives turned, some of the things that we've learned in recruiting, what that looks like, and how we're applying it to business. I really love this part of the conversation because at a personal level, I'm all hard knocks. Daniel is a lot of education, entrepreneurship, and I'm more the career ladder. He's more the career pyramid. But yet there's so many commonalities that we have through our experience in business. And it was just so refreshing to have a conversation about how recruiting looks like supply chain management, and supply chain management has a lot of features that look like recruiting. So take a seat, grab a cup of coffee, I take mine with cream, and listen in. I am so excited to have Daniel Stanton here, uh, author of Supply Chain Management for Dummies, who is currently working on his Doctor of Business Administration with Cranfield University in the UK. Um, anyway, thank you for joining me today. I, uh, called one of my mentors. I was working for a company and we were looking at buying out, uh, a distributor and warehouse. I was talking to the owner of my current business who was looking into this particular purchase. And he said, yeah, we're thinking about making you GM <laughs> of this business. Right. And like, I'm like, woohoo. Right. Cause <laughs> well, the whole point was like, I was a recruiter and I was really one of the first people in this area to break from recruiting into HR management. Like literally yeah. when I made that break, I got calls from all these recruiters that were like, how'd you do it? <laughs> right. And so then I'm like from HR going into like operations and general management, that's just not a jump you see corporation wise. Right. But I remember I called my, uh, one of my mentors and I said, well, this is what we're looking at here. And I'm kind of walking her through it. She's like, don't do it. And I said, why? She goes, the cultures are all wrong. It's going to fail. And so like, I was, oh man, I had to go back to my, my uh, company owner. And I was like, yeah, we can't, we can't purchase that company. It's going to be a really bad decision if we do, because it's, it's a culture mismatch. Interesting. And um, you were touching on that in your book when I was listening to it, talking about the consultants and the HR and coming together and the merger. And it's like, you, if you have an alignment and culture, you can make magic happen. Yep. It's true. You know, it's one of those things. It, it's, it's easy to look at after the fact mm-hmm. when something doesn't work and mm-hmm. say, oh, yeah, the problem was a cultural mismatch. It's really hard at the beginning to mm-hmm. make an assessment and predict whether it's going to work or not. Right. Um, the other thing is, I I wonder sometimes if um, if culture is used as an excuse, as sort of a general bucket for you know there were a bunch of problems here that nobody really had the courage or the the wisdom mm-hmm. to know how to deal with correctly. Yeah. And so instead of actually articulating what the problems were and fixing them, like maybe we should have fired somebody or maybe we should have hired some different people, um, you know, the way that that we do it without making anybody look bad or hurting anybody's feelings is we just say it was a culture problem. You know, it's funny that you say that I've been in a situation where a merger happened. And as soon as the merger happened, they looked at an executive and said, we need you to fire this person that's been on staff for 10 years because 
nobody had the guts to do it. And I tell a lot of people in interviews, I start off with, listen, uh, we are looking for a culture match, but I want you to understand something. Most people use culture matches. I'm looking for someone who looks like me and thinks like me. And usually, you know, when that happens, you wind up with everybody looks alike, literally looks alike. And um, yeah, I recently, I made a hire onto my team that was so like a left turn from anything that we've seen at the organization. And um, I have people coming to me going, wow, like this person is incredible. Right. Yeah, I know because she looks like nothing else we have on staff right now and thinks like nothing else we have on staff. And and that's such a big deal, right? It's like, well, how can you on the one hand make decisions based on culture which is right. you say, really, at the end of the day, it's like, are you like me or are you different? And then say, we really want diversity. Right. Um, and and I, I think, you know, it's not an easy thing to do as a leader, but it's part of your job yeah. as a leader to figure out how to navigate and manage different cultures. Yes. And. And so, you know, for me, making a decision to acquire or not to acquire, to hire or not to hire, based on cultural alignment, Mm -hmm. um, makes me suspicious. It makes me suspicious, too. And that's one of the things that I like when you were talking about supply chain, you're talking about the interconnectedness of supply chain, and it goes across all departments. And recruiting is the same way. The thing that drives me bonkers, and I think you've seen this, is everybody talks about silos, and then they get mad when people don't stay in their lane, and then they complain about silos. And I'm like, if you leave purchasing as just purchasing, you're going to have an admin just making the best decision because they don't understand that sometimes spending an extra $5,000 saves $20,000, right? And and it's the same thing with recruiting. Like if you let that person start digging around departments, they will see gaps sometimes before managers do. Because as recruiters, my big thing has always been, I don't want to have to recruit for that position again. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So, you know, it is so funny, Deva, because I don't know many people that have had the experience both of working on the operation side mm-hmm. and on the HR side and specifically mm-hmm. in recruiting. And so for you and I to be at this point in our lives right. and to have that in common, I think is kind of hysterical. It, it is. Um, you know, I was telling somebody the other day about, you know, I was talking about a forklift. I'm like, well, do we have a watering system on the forklift? They're like, what? I'm like, it's a stand-up forklift, dude. Do you know how to get, well, I've seen them do it with the pallet jack. I'm like, it weighs like 6,000 pounds. For 600 bucks, we can get a watering system. Oh, we can do that? <laughs> like, yeah. Because <laughs> I worked in operations. Right. I drove a you forklift. <laughs> I That's stayed. Right. Yeah. That's right. You get it. <laughs> so, and, and one of the things, um, so I'll, I'll share with you the story of how I ended up doing my, yeah. my tour in HR. Um, yeah, I'm very interested about that because nothing about your background reads that you're going to get plunked in HR, but you did. Right. right? Well, and, and, and as you know, um, 
one one of my character flaws is you know most people have a switch of you know a, an idea comes into your head and and you can turn the switch on or off to decide right. whether it comes out of your mouth um and i think i was born without that switch so that <laughs> creates some problems the whole way around um so i I, I did my uh, master's at MIT and I ended up getting hired into a, a big global company as a supply chain project manager, working in the project management office doing uh, supply chain projects. Um, and, and it was my whole, the process of recruiting me was a bit unusual because like a lot of these big academy manufacturing companies, they're their talent management process is they go out and they hire kids fresh out of college and you spend your life, your entire career in that big company. I mean, that's what the, 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 the talent model, the succession model is built around. So for me to get hired in, in my thirties, having had a couple of jobs, having been in the military, having already done my master's degree, that was already sort of quirky for them right mm -hmm. I, I i was different it was intentional on their part they were specifically right. trying to attract you know mid-career folks but but they didn't really have systems built for it so um i i hired in in 2008 um and within you know so i i, I started in june and by mm -hmm. december we got the email saying we need to reduce our workforce by 25 percent um, yeah, at, at the time, amazingly, the CEO of the company had a PhD in economics. And so where lots of other companies were sort of slow to see mm -hmm. what was coming with the great recession, these folks saw it. They had a leader yep. in charge who saw what was happening and, and understood that decisive action was needed. So at the time it was really painful, but in hindsight, you go brilliant, right? Right. So, um, Right before, you know, the, the, the Christmas holidays, we all got a letter saying, you know, it's going to be a hard um, few months ahead. We need to reduce the workforce by 25%. These are decisions that you need to make as a family. So we're giving you the, the information and the options now so that you can think about it over the holidays and come back uh, in the new year. And we can sort of make this decision case by case about what's best for everybody. Um, and the, the way the package worked was if you were within, you know, X years of retirement, perfect. Buy out, right. walk away, you're good. That took um, care of what? Five, maybe 10% exactly, of the Exactly, right? I mean, okay. that's potentially, and it's still up to them to request it, right? Because right. this is the voluntary package. Um, and then, you know, for folks who weren't eligible for retirement, there was some other um, deal that like, you know, you'd get paid one week for every year of service or something okay. like that right yep so that you know you could walk away and and um, look for another job or some folks took that package and went back to get a master's degree but you know it gave you a cushion to work with to go relaunch where, wherever you wanted to go for anybody that had been less been with the company less than a year there was no option and so but I, I mean, it wasn't, it, 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 there wasn't a voluntary option, I guess. And so, you know, within six months of me joining the company, mm -hmm. literally a quarter of the people in the company 
left either through that voluntary package right. or through involuntary separations. Um, and I had no option because I hadn't been there long enough to even have the choice. Right. Um, stressful to say the least, but yeah. you know, you come to work every day, you do your stuff and you just kind of watch what happens on Friday. Um, the, the good news is we made it through that uh, as, as a company and, and my family and I were, were fine. But um, I was in this role where I was, you know, in leading uh, supply chain projects, right? Mm -hmm. Which was installed, you know, at that point was a lot of cost cutting stuff, right? right? And implementing new technologies that, that would allow us to cut costs. But you know, within two years, so now fast forward to 2010, um, things were booming, right? Mm -hmm. It was, and and we were at the front side of that recovery, but, you know, because we had done this stuff early on to yep. protect the company, protect our cash, protect our credit rating, we were able to step out in front of the the recovery. And what we found was, we were ready to make investments in opening new facilities around the world. And what we lacked was experienced leaders who could actually, you know, and, and, and not even necessarily the senior folks, because you don't need that many vice presidents, but you need a bunch of mid-level executives yep. that have some experience with startups, right? Right. You you yep. you you want somebody that's been through a couple of startups before you put them in charge of their own startup. Mm -hmm. But we didn't have them. All of those folks had taken the voluntary separation packages. <laughs> right. <laughs> and our recruiting was all focused on, you know, college seniors from mm -hmm. um, you know, mostly from Big Ten colleges, right? Right. Um, and that wasn't where we were growing. That wasn't where we needed to open new facilities. And it wasn't. And so we had this huge mis mismatch mm -hmm. between what our recruiting had had been designed for and, and really was very well established. That was a longstanding process. It was a plug and chug sort of, oh, it's recruiting right. time. Here are the schools. When are their recruiting fairs? Let's go set up our our tent and play trick or treat for trinkets. And I was going to say, and big 10, you guys had an identified culture. It, absolutely. <laughs> and so I ended up of all things, um, having lunch in the, in the cafeteria with one of the VPs of the division. And, um, you know, over lunch, we were just having this conversation about how, you know, more or less, we were we were being inhibited. Our growth was being stunted because they didn't really know how to recruit folks like me, who'd run mm -hmm. businesses, who'd run projects, who, um, you know, had had led teams, and we needed a lot of people mm -hmm. like me. And okay. and so it was a little bit of an interview to say like. So how did that work? And, mm -hmm. you know, how can we do more of that? Because it, it just, it, it seemed like it, it wasn't happening. Um, and so back to the switch, I shared my experience and some of my ideas about sort of what it seemed like 
maybe were opportunities for improvement. And um, shortly thereafter, I got summoned by the VP of HR, who, who said, <laughs> my, um, my, my colleague said that you may have some ideas about, you know, our, our recruiting process and opportunities for improvement. No, not, that was not set up to be a great conversation, I'll just say. <laughs> no, anytime you have a leader of a department and they're saying, well, we got this person in this other department that we think is going to blow your system out of the water. Yeah, there's a little territorial nature getting ready to happen there, right? Right. <laughs> um, but for my sins, um, they asked me to, to come over and we spent some time, um, you know, meeting with the team and kind of thinking stuff out and, you know, honestly, just uh, I'll say kind of spitballing saying, okay, yeah. you know, let, let's talk about what some of these issues are and what does the business yep. need? And, you know, what are some things that I saw when I was a, a student being recruited that other companies were doing that were effective that, that were not right. Cause right. it's, it's different. Now I'm on this team. What, you know, what can I share about intelligence what intelligence can I share about what other teams are doing that, that would right. give us an advantage? Um, and not long after that, they asked me to, to come over and um, really do a transformation of the recruiting process and put me in charge of the recruiting team. And how long so, did you, were you in charge of that for? So it was two years okay. and, and that was negotiated up front. Um, and so I, you know, my, my going in position was, I, I actually think that we're at a place that this is a strategic role for the company. Mm -hmm. I, I think um, we need to transform what we're doing. And I, I think I bring a lot to the table to help do that. No offense, but I didn't um, make the investments in my education in supply chain with the intent of becoming an HR professional. Right. But so there is a supply chain in recruiting. There absolutely <laughs> is, right? But 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 that was my thing is I said, I I absolutely see the connections and I want to help make this happen. But I do not want to get bucketed into a, an HR career track. Yeah, I want to be seen as a supply chain professional. Um, I I'm happy to use this as an opportunity to demonstrate my value to the company yep. and, and as a, a growth opportunity for me, sort of a cross training thing. But my expectation is that at the end of two years, which is kind of the typical rotation in, in uh, mm -hmm. roles in, in that company, at the end of two years, you're going to pull me out of this role and put me back into a supply chain role. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to count on you to make sure that I get moved into a good role coming after, uh, I, into a good role after this, not into something kind of crappy, because that's going to be a signal to everybody else about mm -hmm. whether you should take a chance in your own career, right? right with these developmental sort of assignments, yep. because there's always this risk that if, if you're sort of um, if you step outside of the team for a little while to do something that's good for the company, well, the folks that stayed behind advance faster and then you come back in and you're playing catch up. Um, so to their credit, they, Absolutely. It, it worked perfectly. They, they sent me over to HR, but they did it not as an, an HR position title, but as a supply chain technical fellow. Oh, right. 
Yeah, that's smart. And so okay. it was very clear that it was a transformational sort of initiative mm-hmm. as opposed to, yeah, we just hired somebody from another department to run HR. Right. Um, so that gave me not only the responsibility for the recruiting, but it, it actually made me a part of the, um, the HR department. Mm-hmm. So I got involved in other things, right? Because I was sort of a supply chain consultant embedded in the HR department. Right. Operationally, I had responsibility for recruiting, mm-hmm. but then I also uh, got to participate in succession planning, strategic workforce planning, mm. um, compensation, right? Oh, that's a hot one right there. Mergers and acquisitions sort mm-hmm. of stuff, yeah. right? So for me, developmentally, it was an amazing assignment. Yeah. But then, you know, as you were saying, because I brought this supply chain perspective to the table, mm-hmm. I looked at everything we were doing a little bit different and was able to pull some of these pieces together and make connections that were, were just kind of obvious to me because that's the way we do it in supply chain. Yep. But it wasn't the way it was being done with these established processes. Right. So when you were doing the recruiting there, you were heading up like the process development, things like that. One of the big issues that I've seen happen, it's never happened to me, but a lot of recruiters talk about this online where, well, part of this has happened to me, where a job description gets developed for something that's absolutely impossible to fulfill. And one of the most common ones is in technology, they'll say they need seven years of this particular technology when it's only existed for three, right? Right. So we see that. Then the next thing that happens is the recruiter takes the fall for all of that, but also because there's no interconnection with the managers. They get caught in this stubborn cycle that, well, I look like this, so it must exist. And I'm wondering, how did you bring in, in, because I know you saw that, how did you bring in in your supply chain background, set some realistic standards there with some of those people you were working with? You're absolutely right. It's a huge issue. The classic example is, um, you know, we're looking for an executive with 30 years experience and a bachelor's in supply chain management. There were no bachelor's degrees in supply chain management 30 years ago. Yeah, I remember when the HR degrees came down, we were sitting (laughs) in the HR office laughing like, how can you possibly get a degree in HR? Right. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> or or you know, 10 years experience with a piece of software where the company was founded two years ago. Right. 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 Um, and so that uh, honestly, that was one of the gaps that I was really able to help with. Okay. Uh, in that role because I, I had the supply chain expertise, right? Okay. And and um I could work with hiring managers to develop you know, uh, realistic job descriptions. And, and, you know, this is, gosh, David, it's probably, it's 10 years ago now, right? Mm -hmm. But at that time, I was already um, a a pretty savvy LinkedIn user, right? Mm -hmm. So I could go out and do the the reconnaissance and see, you know, what what skills were available, right? Right. So you could do some research on candidates, figure out what your pool looks like before putting your job descriptions together. Right. right. So that you get some of that alignment. You know, an, another thing, a, a lot of times, you know, I'll see the um, the job of, of putting the job description together. The hiring managers don't take seriously enough. 
And so it's either copy and paste from a template that was copied mm-hmm. and pasted, that was copied and pasted, that's you know 20 years yep. old, or they write up a couple of sentences, maybe, or they just tell HR, hey, here's what I want, you write it up. Yep. And you know, the the recruiters and the HR folks don't know about supply chain. They don't mm-hmm. know about the certifications and what each one involves. One of the things that that I I have done specifically because of that, uh, there's a LinkedIn learning course that I created called Supply Chain Certification Tips and Tricks. Okay. And um, if you in the very first video, I say, you know, the the primary audience for this is people that want a career in supply chain management, right? right? So that you can think about what the different certifications are, who are the communities that offer them, where are you trying to take your career? But it could also be useful for recruiters mm-hmm. who are putting together a job <laughs> description or interviewing candidates. And, you know, they see that somebody has a certification. Well, what yep. does that actually mean? Right. Yeah. And and how does yeah. that certification compare to the others? So I, I pulled that down. I talk about it a little bit in, in my book. I think the book is a pretty good reference for some of mm-hmm. that. But also um, that that LinkedIn learning course, I always have people in mind, like, who am I explaining this to? And for that course, one of the groups that I had in mind was my recruiting team to, mm-hmm. to just say, listen, you know, we we this is stuff that you needed to learn as recruiters right. <clears throat> to be able to do a good job of having conversations with candidates. Right. And figuring out who we who fits with what we need. You know, it's so funny that you say that Um, some years ago, I was put on a uh, network administrator position and the company that I was working for at the time had government contracts. And so everybody in my IT department actually had to have um, be an American citizen because of the nature of the government contracts we worked on. Yep. And so we had like two different applications online. So whenever it went to the IT department, we flipped over to the other application to verify citizenship versus just ability to work in the U.S., and they were telling me, so not only did we need to have this American citizen in an IT position, which you automatically know that wipes out over 50% of the pool, right? They needed a specific certification. And I was getting people that looked qualified, but they had the wrong certification. It was type of Microsoft certification for our system that we had. I find out two months into recruiting that five people I ruled out didn't have that cert. They had this senior version of that cert, right? but the letters were so completely different that it never dawned on me that it was better than what we were looking for. And I'm like, now I've, you know, I've learned, I didn't know what I didn't know. I've had to learn to ask those questions But it goes back to, you can't just throw a certification down. You have to say, here's six different types of certifications that we're looking for. Right. You know, because as I did deeper, there was probably another two or three others that would have sufficed because they were in the same Microsoft lineage, right? And um, it's really frustrating, again, to be the recruiter that takes the fall for that when you know, I was probably looking at, you know, probably a good two or three hireable candidates that would have fit the bill two weeks in, but instead we were on that for four months before it got filled. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that 
you're absolutely right about the certifications, right? Yeah. And and it's true in supply chain, right? That so there, are, you know, these steps that a lot of organizations mm-hmm. have, sort of, uh, you know, it's almost like apprenticeships, right? So you do this one, then this one, and this one, and and um, it may be acceptable for a job description that you've started that journey, mm-hmm. but unless they list all of the certifications, and as a candidate, if the company that I'm applying to can't tell the difference between the senior certification and the junior certification for this. I, do I really want to go there? I mean, what does that say about their understanding of my discipline and how I'm going to be treated and respected as a professional? Right. And it creates this automatic assumption when realistically I was there to take the weight off of them. It's but bad form all the way around. That's right. It, it looks bad for the company. And and um, and it's honestly, it it's either a lack of understanding or poor communication, right? Or right. just really not being thoughtful about the recruiting and the posting process. Right. You know, an, another thing, you know, with, with that role, you probably ran into this. Like a lot of times your best candidates, those purple squirrels, mm-hmm. if they're good at the search and they're looking at that moment, mm-hmm. they're going to show up right away. And you want to respond right away. Right away. Yep. Right. Because if you wait a month to get back to that candidate. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're going to find something else. They're going to interpret that as a lack of interest, a lack of enthusiasm. Um, you know, they're going to see your company as being slow or boring. And so even if they might be a good candidate and this might be a good role. Right. It, it, it sends the wrong message. And this is one of the things that I've been looking at. So one of my one of my catchphrases when I'm in networking groups and stuff is I try to tell people like when they talk about the problems with recruiting, I'm like, okay, here's the deal. We're using a process we developed for baby boomers on systems and platforms developed by Gen X to recruit millennials, which is the largest segment of our population. So we've created this artificial funnel because back in the day, if you went to apply for jobs and you were looking for jobs, like a hardcore day was you walked into two or three businesses to fill out an application. Nowadays, you can submit hundreds a week, right? The problem is, is we have millennials who have been taught to research the heck out of things. So if we look at the fact that that's the largest segment of our population, let's stop treating the application process as a necessary evil and recreate the entire website because your millennials, again, most your applicants, most your hires, they will research the heck out of what is on your website. And if you gear it towards the people that are taking care of your clients, not just your clients, they will screen themselves in or out and you will actually have a more targeted flow coming in and less things to weed out. And therefore, people like me can respond faster to solid applicants because we know the people are like they're they're tracking on something that works for them. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and th- this this has always been part of my philosophy with recruiting is that I don't want it to be transactional. I don't want to be in a place that, oh my goodness, we have an opening to fill. Let me post that and and see, you know, what fish I can catch. Yeah, spray and pray, right? right? That's what it's called. Exactly. (laughs) 
what what I want is to have strategically sort of a longer term vision mm-hmm. of where we think we're we're growing, where we're expecting to have some turnover, so that I've got a, a forecast for what I'm anticipating we need. And then I've got a pool of candidates already who have a relationship with the company, right? right? That are monitoring the company that are waiting for that right opportunity. So they're doing whatever they're doing today, but they've got their eye on us Mm -hmm. so that when the opportunity comes up, just as you say, they're self-screening and they're there. And if we're doing it right, I already know who they are, right? Right. So then it's, hey, this opening came up. Maybe they saw it or maybe I reach out and say, hey, I, I think this is the one for you, yep. right? Um, and and then it's just making the introduction and, and making the choice of who is the best fit for that role right now. Yes. Um, and, and it, you know, that's, that is so much better for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. It's so much more efficient. It's so much more effective. As candidates, you 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 feel like a human being. You feel like you're somebody that's valued and wanted, yes. and it's just yes. a question of finding the right time. As a company, that is so much better than either having to pay a headhunter to mm-hmm. go do you know essentially the same thing, or you know to to have to weed through a thousand resumes trying to interpret right that you know that's the other one that drives me nuts as I see. Um, recruiters who measure their effectiveness by the number of resumes, by the number of applications. I'm like, I, I really, I don't, I don't want to see that metric because all that tells me is that yeah. you're really good at being busy, right? Well, and that's the other thing. The thing that cracks me up most about HR, and I'm finally starting to see like recruiters speaking out about this, is the AI, the algorithm doesn't exist in most systems. It is still human eyes. Like if that company has less than 2000 people, usually even less than 5000 people, there's not AI on there. And that's the other problem. When you turn it into a measurement of how many resumes you're going through, again, you've created an entire siloed process and you've taken a position and turned it into an admin position like and I really because most recruiters and you know you've probably met a few of them like this so I'm not HR I'm a recruiter like there is a distinct difference like because we're trying to get butts in the seat where HR is about policy right I've never seen an organization right now spin recruiting out to operations but I bet if you did because most recruiters are targeted to improve things where most HR people are targeted to make quick decisions, quick decisions and improving things usually don't go hand in hand. And um, I can tell you recruiting just, they just, they think very differently. And it's, it's a struggle for me because I have that duplicity now of thought. Right. Right. So I'll say in my experience, um, our our recruiting folks were very much a part of HR. Mm-hmm. Right. They're they're yep. and, and I, I think uh, as an organization, we were we were pretty good about that. The thing that I think is different about recruiting and our organization struggled with a bit is there there is a piece of recruiting that is compliance. Yep. Right. There is a piece of recruiting which is 
um, really aligning to the, the needs of the business. So mm-hmm. understanding what's happening in the organization right. and making sure that, that you're a strategic partner in that. And there's a piece of recruiting that is a salesperson. You mm-hmm. are selling the company to your yep. candidates yep. and you're selling the candidates to the company. Mm-hmm. So, right. So you're, you're, a, you're a broker. And, and as you say, doing all three of those mm-hmm. is, uh, I, I think that's a higher level sort of business acumen required to do that, right? To just yeah. understand, you know, what are the needs of the business, short and long-term challenges? Why do we have to comply with all of these government regulations? And what, you know, what, what are the lawyers you know, why are they making our lives so tough? Right. And why is it really, you know, something we have to, you know, not just check the boxes, but we, we need to understand what's involved in complying with that. And then using all of that knowledge to find the right candidates mm-hmm. and have intelligent conversations on both sides. I'll, I'll tell you some of the, the, the best success that I had as a recruiter was finding not just universities that had good supply chain programs, Mm -hmm. but then finding the students at those universities who were the most interested in supply chain. Mm -hmm. So that would be basically the supply chain student organization. Right. Right. Um, and and once in a while, there'd be, you know, classes taught by a particular professor that you right. knew if they were taking that class, they were they were in it up to their neck. Right. Um, and then going in and in general, what I do like for the student organizations, I go in and I'm, I buy pizza for everybody and I tell war stories. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you go in and, you know, uh, as as an ex sailor, it's really easy for me to throw in a, a a few choice foul words. Oh yeah, right, which makes the whole thing a lot more real, a lot more sincere. So, um, you go in, you share war stories, you show pictures, you you throw in a little bit of adult language, and you feed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> you know, for an investment of a couple hundred bucks in an hour, right? Now you've got a group of candidates, right? Who, is dying for the opportunity to come work for your company. Yep. That's going to, you know, if you're good at telling the stories, they're going to share those stories, mm-hmm. right? And and not just in this recruiting cycle, right? If they don't get picked up, if they have some other kind of opportunity yep. or, you know, some challenge that they're dealing with today that it that makes them not makes it not the right time for them to be a good candidate. That's fine. They're going to be looking for that opportunity in five years or 10 years. You know, I talk about this a lot, what I call emotional capital, that if you look at everybody as having a checkbook, an emotional checkbook, if you fill that emotional checkbook through your conversation with what happens, we have such a screwed up recruiting process that they come to their first day of work zeroed out or in the negative. They've, they're overdrawn and something wrong happens those first couple of days of work. They're like, dude, I'm out of here. But when you have that type of setting up structure and like filling the back of their brain and like you talked about the sales process, I ask questions in my first interviews around 
describe for me professional nirvana, describe for me professional hell. Where did professional hell happen to you? And it's all around an actual sales process because when they start telling me what they're trying to avoid, because people still think they can't talk bad about ex-employers, I'm like, give it to me. Because now I can say, you know what? Our environment looks like what you're trying to avoid. Let's just cut this short right now, you know? But when you have that emotional capital and then you have, like, they come to you with this full checkbook, they have this connection. It's it's amazing what happens. It is absolutely amazing. For sure. <laughs> can we talk about military recruiting? Absolutely. That's one of my most favorite things to do. Go for awesome. it. Thanks for listening to The Rebellious Recruiter. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening to this and comment, rate, and review. And share this podcast with other leaders that are looking to build out-of-this-world teams and maybe have a penchant for defying best practices. Go ahead and check me out at millsgroupllc.com and drop me a line there with your thoughts or questions. I might use your subject matter in upcoming shows. And thank you for listening. I know you only have so many hours in the week and I'm grateful to spend this time with you. Until then, make it a great day. I'll see you on the flip side. This podcast is produced by TH3 Entertainment.